Hey guys, great news for the holidays. Seasons 1 and 2 of Raise the Dead are now available on audiobook at raisethedeadpodcast.com slash complete. You can use Audible credits for it. I highly recommend that you do if you're like me and you got a few of them stacked up. Go back to 1960, Kennedy versus Nixon, one of the most misunderstood elections in American history. Find out how it connects to the big upset of the 2016 race and why the Trump campaign took their inspiration from the Kennedys. Then get season two, 1964, the biggest power vacuum in American political history and what it says about the election we just saw. Both audiobooks come with exclusives not heard on the podcast. RaiseTheDeadPodcast.com slash complete. Get seasons one and two on Audible right now. The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, The Joe Q Car Show, Frank Latuka, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Jim Wright, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for December 16th. 2020, it's your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you again from Oakland, California. Feels like a new day is dawning, doesn't it? It does, does to me. You look on television, you see people getting COVID vaccines, rolling out. The memes are a little funnier these days. I saw a... Pfizer hand dolly rolling through a hospital to the Bill Goldberg theme in my Twitter timeline yesterday. Big news with the Electoral College as it has now officially given Joe Biden the title of president-elect. And that has gotten some very interesting cosigns over the last 24 hours. We will look at those, as well as what it means for the man who is currently inhabiting the West Wing. Meanwhile, it is do or die in Congress. Will they get a COVID relief bill? Will they even fund the government? Gears are turning As we speak, as I record this, so we'll have to wait and see, but we will break down what looks to be, if there is going to be a deal, what the framework would be. All that and an interview with somebody that I've been friends with for a very long time, yet has never appeared on this show. Many of you may have come from the Frog Pants community they do many successful shows uh, including the morning stream film sack and in the world of video games the instance 
Every Tuesday, I am a guest on the morning stream and I talk politics. And yet one of the hosts of that show, and indeed the father of Frog Pants himself, Scott Johnson, has never graced this program. That ends today. If you've never heard of Scott, you're going to love him. If you have, then get ready because this is going to be the definitive Scott Johnson politics interview as again we see a bit of a new day dawning speaking of that bird the electoral college has spoken so today I want to congratulate president-elect Joe Biden the president-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. I also want to congratulate the vice president-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. Beyond our differences, all Americans can take pride that our nation has a female vice president-elect for the very first time. I look forward to finishing out the next 36 days strong with President Trump. Our nation needs us to add another bipartisan chapter to this record of achievement. Those are the words of Senate Majority Leader, Senator from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell. Knowing how the rankings go, Mike Pence is technically second in command, but in reality, power-wise, the Republican Party belongs to Mitch McConnell if Donald Trump uh, is is fading. Mitch McConnell got reelected. Donald Trump didn't. The fact that Mitch McConnell came out here, and that was from the Senate floor on Tuesday, and said that Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States is a moment. Indeed. It was followed by an even more surprising admission that from Newsmax, Newsmax, one of the media outlets favored by President Trump after he feels that he was abandoned by Fox News, they made mention today that from here on out, because of the Electoral College vote, they would be referring to Joe Biden as president-elect. It's over. The 2020 election, for all intents and purposes, is over. And I mean that in this capacity. If we saw evidence that somebody had their hand in the cookie jar and they were flipping all these votes and it became very clear and it was a clarion call for which all of America could see exactly what the the, the Trump team needed them to see, Joe Biden would still be president. Yes, there is technically one more step to go. There is one more step, and that is in January. That's in 35 days. 
But for all intents and purposes, it's a wrap. Because there is no power but future power. I've told you guys this repeatedly. I'm going to have it stitched onto a tea towel and I'm going to make it a Patreon reward. There is no power but future power and you are watching it drain out of Donald Trump and fill the shambling frame of Joe Biden. Now we're going to have plenty of time to talk about what Joe Biden is going to do. In fact, it will dominate our discourse for the next four years. But I want to take a moment right now because the interesting decision is on the shoulders of Donald Trump, a man who has not conceded. I made mention of this, I think it was on a PX3 Extra, after Trump's speech in Georgia. But I want to reiterate this specifically as we are at this particular fork in the road. Donald Trump needs to decide who he is. Is he a president in exile or the leader of a vibrant political movement? A president in exile will as the passage of time goes along, be relegated to the dustbin of history because he will no longer be a part of the game. He will have taken his ball and gone home. Even in that scenario, he's not going to be able to command the media attention that he once did. He will likely be deplatformed by all the social media companies because pushing their boundaries is kind of his brand. He will be toxic, vanquished by those who said he was a cancer to the Republic. Now, he will always have a cadre of adoring fans, and he will likely always be a folk hero. Although who knows exactly what the moral of that folk story will be to the Republican Party. Yes, you can continue to fight. Yes. Every moment that your eyes are on the past and not the future, you will become more and more irrelevant by the second. That's what is there for him if he continues to fight a battle long decided. Or, Trump is the leader of a vibrant, vibrant political movement. A man with the ear of millions and an ally of the most pervasive trend in our modern age. Because the more we're able to communicate, the more we are able to document, the more suspicious we all become. And Donald Trump is somebody that gives voice to that. Should we trust what we are being told. The burden of proof to overturn an election is high, but building a case in the court of public opinion is not. There's no reason why Donald Trump cannot continue to say they had to cheat to beat us, but they did cheat in the 2020 election.
You can say, I took the L, but look what you guys had to stoop to do to do it. That can still be a part of his narrative. He can still talk about Dominion voting machines. Because look, they are hackable. This isn't new. We've seen demonstrations of, of voting machine hacking at the hacker conference DEFCON for over a decade. Trump can own this. He can lead charges to have them removed from use. There are many, 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 many wins for him beyond this moment. Not to mention, as a potential Grover Cleveland in waiting, you can be the counterweight to anything that Biden does. Sure, you needed to be Pat Buchanan to launch a platform, but you got more votes being the working class culture warrior and popular in Hispanic border counties than you did as the build-a-wall immigration hawk. You don't need to renounce anything, but you can broaden your appeal beyond traditional norms. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because I've said similar things about Donald Trump since Election Day. But I wanted to reiterate it to you guys... Because I've got a new thought. Trump doesn't want to be either. In fact, I think Trump is out of gas. Follow me here. What if Trump is clinging to this fight because it's all he has left? What if in his private moments, he knows he emptied the tank for this run? As much as we can wrap up our own mythos and emotions into this lightning rod of humanity that is Donald Trump. Let's remember, he is a man. And he's an old man. He's a man who's lived a full life. He punched above his weight. Even his most bitter enemies would admit that he changed politics forever. But what if Trump knows? 2024 isn't happening. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe a heart or a brain thing. Trump is obviously somebody who hides weaknesses and projects strength, you know, the way men used to. This is all part of the show. But it is real. He does have a mortality to it. Maybe he's still recovering from COVID and he's worn out from that very intense stretch run of a campaign. But more specifically, it might just be the existential. How much can you wrap your emotions into something? How sure of something can you be only for it not to happen? And when you've gone through that pain... Do you 
ever want to go through it again. Maybe this is it. While the political machinery rolls on without him forever chasing future power, he knows he's being left behind and he just won't ever have the energy to catch it. It will only get further and further away. The wolves come for us all. It's true in life, and it's very true in politics. If you're going to lead a movement, you need to be at the head of the pack, giving an example for everybody that's behind you. And if you don't have it in you anymore, then you simply have one question. When will I face reality? It's just a matter of time of when you want to admit it. Before I get the emails, that isn't going to be our uh, a campaign undertaker for Trump. We will do a proper campaign undertaker when the 2020 race is is done from his eyes or he switches his uh, his gaze to 2024 or I just get tired of waiting. One of those three things will happen. Let's uh, keep an eye, though, on one of the people that began that last segment. Cocaine Mitch McConnell is now in negotiations with Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Mike McCarthy. Those are the four uh, uh, opposition and majority leaders in both the House and the Senate. They are going to try to hammer out this COVID-19 relief bill and a spending bill to keep the government moving. But let's kind of do a little reset here just to to bring you up to speed. All right. So uh, we're not going to spend time on the spending bill. We're mostly going to focus on the COVID bill because the spending bills are something that are embarrassingly late and uh, too big of a deal considering the fact that it's basically their only job. Very frequently, it's rarer that we have a once-in-a-century pandemic for which the federal government can help, and they have not. So, we didn't get anything done before the election at all, whatsoever. And everybody can finger point. Nancy Pelosi said she wasn't going to come down under $2.2 trillion. Joe Biden gets elected. She says, LOL, I'm going to come down under $2.2 trillion. So, it's just a matter of where we are going to land with the number and two very key issues. Number one, funding for budget deficits with state and uh, city governments. That's a Democrat must have. And then on the Republican side, it is liability protection, basically offering the ability for companies to open up 
and have protection against getting sued in case somebody gets the vid on their watch. Mitch McConnell came out a week ago and said, hey, what if we split off both of our controversial positions? So the Republicans would split off doing the liability protection. The Democrats would split off state and local government money. And we just passed what we can all agree on. And what they can all agree on is a re-up of unemployment. So if you were getting extra federal money in your unemployment, that you'd get more of that. They'd re-up the Paycheck Protection Program if you were still getting paid by your employer while you were not working or you were given the opportunity to come back and work, then you would get more of that. And then federal money for vaccine distribution and assorted other things. Initially, the Democrats, Pelosi and Schumer said, hell no, because the way that you get things done in the Senate is no, 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 no. You're going to swallow some of the thing you don't like so you can pass the thing that you like. That's usually how things get done in the Senate. It's like nobody ever passes an unpopular bill, but a lot of bills get passed with unpopular elements to it. And so now when the chips are down, that's what you're going to do right now, Mitch McConnell. Now, there's other layers to this. Like, who knows exactly how much Mitch McConnell actually has reins on his party right now in the Senate? Whether or not it's overblown that some members of the Senate have all of a sudden become fiscal hawks and how much of that is being played up because Mitch McConnell doesn't want to make a bigger deal. But a bicameral, bipartisan group of senators at the, or sorry, uh, senators and congresspeople being led by moderates, Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, and Susan Collins, Republican from Maine. They came out with a framework for a COVID bill. It included liability. It included $160 billion for state and local. But now, this is the big change, the bipartisan group did what McConnell suggested. They split up the state and local and the liability and then put all the popular stuff in another bill. So they've laid on the table two bills. On Tuesday, Pelosi, McConnell, Schumer, McCarthy all sat down and talked about it. This comes on the same day that Mitch McConnell said Joe Biden is the president-elect. Is this indeed a Christmas miracle, as Susan Collins called it? Well, it certainly isn't for the strangest tag team in Washington, Bernie Sanders, and Josh Hawley. Yes, friends, you heard that right. The father of democratic socialism and the China hawking, trending, topic, humping Josh Hawley have agreed on one thing. They are going to vote against any COVID bill that doesn't include 
the $1,200 stimulus checks for most Americans. Indeed, they've even gone so far as to say that if this isn't included in whatever COVID bill, they're going to do a separate piece of legislation and they're going to make everybody vote against giving money to the people. Time is running out on all of this, of course. We're coming up against Christmas. Eventually, Congress folk will do what Congress folk do. Take a vacation. And that time is nigh. The idea that all four members of leadership are talking to each other is indeed a good sign. But will it happen? I don't know. I'm back to being optimistic. I'm back to being optimistic. I have vacillated back and forth. I have thought, no, there's no way this is going to happen. Oh, it's a slam dunk. You gotta think something's going to get done. But the question is, are Pelosi and Schumer willing to split this up like the bipartisan group did? That seems to be the uh, uh, the biggest, the biggest move forward. By the way, in terms of raw numbers, the bipartisan bill, which we're presuming is being used as a framework right now, pays an extra $300 a week in jobless benefits and then extends the aid for another four months. And based on some of what we are hearing now with the vaccine, that should be enough to kind of get us to the beginning of a true recovery, not a survival recovery, but a true recovery. If we can presume that Four months from now are when some like non-gotta-have-em vaccine people, so non-medical workers, non-old folks, you know, regular old people like you and me would start to get the vaccine. And then by then you're looking at uh, death rates going down because COVID disproportionately affects older people. So the faster we can get older people vaccinated, the faster this death toll is going to go down. So maybe, maybe, I mean, if anything, that would be the pitch that I would be saying to some of these deficit hawks is like, the reason why you held off before is because you didn't want to do a third one of these. But if there's any time to hit the gas, it's when we think this will get us out of the tunnel. Hey, breaking news, ladies and germs. It looks like Mayor Pete is headed to Washington and not Beijing. Transportation secretary for the former mayor. Uh, Frenemy, Amy Klobuchar, lauded his small government experience lol if you would like to make sure this show keeps existing if you'd like to support the fact that i'm about to get on a plane in two weeks right after christmas right after new year's 
get my ass down to Atlanta, Georgia, so I can drive around the state and cover this runoff of all runoffs, then there's one place you need to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you can join at the $3 level. Get the Monday bonus episode. Get the Thursday bonus episode. You can make sure that you are part of independent political journalism and analysis. I'm so proud of this community that we built. The, 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 the fact that we came together during such a fractious time remains a source of pride. And I can't let you down now. That's why we're stepping up our game. That's why I'd like to introduce you to our Discord, bit.ly slash jury discord. If you're not familiar with the, the process, it's an all-night, all-day community and uh, a chat room where you can connect with fans of this show. We recently just cleaned everything up a little bit so uh, people can just walk on in and understand it a little bit better. I want to remind you that you can always get on our Twitter at px3tweets, letter P, letter X, number three, tweets. And of course, you can get on our free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. That's it. Guys, uh, I, I try to work hard for you, and thankfully there are enough of you that want to chip in that makes it possible for me to do it full time. Take politics seriously. Dot com. Our guest today is an artist, a podcaster, a pioneer in our digital world, and I'm happy to say a friend, the host of the morning stream, the host of the instance, the host of film sack Welcome to the show, Scott Johnson. Oh, hi, Justin. Thanks for having me on the P333X3X. <laughs> I don't know why I've never asked you to be on the show. Oh, probably because probably because when you would have asked me or during the time that would have been appropriate to ask me, I've been uh, a, a kind of a mental patient about politics. And, I, and probably I would come on your show and kind of, you know, fart up the joint. However, I think now's <laughs> the time because now things are, I don't know, things are different in a way that I've been able to find a little equilibrium for the last, I don't know, four years. And yeah, uh, yeah it's a good time to do it, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it, that would have been good radio. It would have been good radio to have you on just, you know, having a conniption. <laughs> like, so, so maybe I'm, I'm lamenting that I've missed that window that, that now that is now that is closed. But uh, I, I do think that this is, you know, I said at the beginning of this show that, it does feel like there is a new day dawning between the vaccines and, you know, some of the 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 uh, uh, recalcitrant elements of the GOP calling Joe Biden president elect that that it does seem that things are kind of shifting. Have you noticed your own? Uh, and for those of you who are not aware of uh, Scott's uh, opinions on the morning stream, I would describe them as volatile <laughs> opinions on politics shifting or mellowing. In it. Uh, yes, more so recently than usual. It's funny because if you came just kind of raw to one of those episodes and didn't know 
where my head is at or where I've stood or where I've voted previously in the past, I think a lot of people just come away from that going, he's a hysterical liberal who can't, you know, stand anything Trump does or anyone with a freaking red hat does, you know, that sort of thing. And, it's, yeah. and I'm just one of those. But they got me wrong. Uh, you know, if you'd have, if you'd have come talk politics with me back in the day, you would have find me. You would have found me voting for people like Bob Dole and Mitt Romney and uh, John McCain and people like that. Uh, Bush Jr. only once, and then I didn't like him, so I voted for John Kerry the next time. But anyway, the point is, um, you would find somebody who's kind of grown up in a pretty conservatively minded, at least politics wise environment and family and i have learned this has kind of been a positive for me actually i have learned over the last four years that i wasn't raised conservative what i was raised was decent and by that i mean uh there was a swath of time where if you were to look at who was being who was showing uh kindness or who was showing charity or who was showing good human to human attributes for a long time time there, it looked like, not saying it was, okay, so keep your emails to yourourselves or just send them to Justin. You don't have to send them to me. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Now you're on my show, so now you could just shoot off at the okay, mouth sweet. And, and I'll get all the emails. Yeah. Sweet. But it's that decency I was attracted to. It's the decency that my family uh, uh, pushed toward. And at the time, whether whether it's, you know, histor history is a different tale and, you know, you don't know all the details. And so maybe let down the road, everybody can complain about Reagan all they want. But to us, he was a good man. And to us, that's the kind of person that you wanted to vote for. And people like Bill Clinton did not seem like a good man. He seemed like a cheater and a liar. And um, that jumps around a few years there, obviously. But uh, um, sure. the first person I could even vote for when I was old enough was George Bush Sr. And I liked him because he, again, seemed like a decent man. You respected his, his World War II service. Like, there's stuff there to admire and believe that he had a cool head about things. But at the same time, I grew up in a family where we were, nobody loved abortion, but we were, we were pro-choice, which to some people seems crazy yeah. and doesn't make sense. To me, it makes all the sense in the world. Like nobody wants to have an abortion, but it's not my choice. It's the woman's. And to me, that, that's, that's a, a, a cohesive double-edged sword that you can carry. And I have no problem with it. And so there's a lot of contradictions in me growing up. And I've been able to, I guess what I'm getting at is I've been able to see those more clearly in the last four years, because when it's, when, when Trump made it into office, my immediate gut reaction and my reaction today has been consistent, which is this dude is a class, a horrendous douchebag monster chode. And well, here, I want to, I, I want to wind back to that for a second, because yeah. I'd kind of like to end the interview on, on where you are now and, and the lessons learned, but I, I want to draw back a little bit. What is your first political memory? The first thing that you can remember, either your parents talking about politics or just anything political. First thing I remember. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Okay. There, 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 are, there are three major points that I could talk about, but I'll talk about the first real memory I have, which is somebody saying that Ronald Reagan was really into jelly beans. Um. <laughs> oh wow! No, this is a famous, a famous thing that uh, I forget who his press secretary was, but it's it's a name. Um, it's it's gonna kill me if I can't remember it. But uh, they were discussing something 
either controversial or boring, but basically something that wasn't good television. Mm-hmm. And the press secretary realized that they would be able to make it palatable for television if they just put a bowl of jelly beans in the center of this big old table. And so now all the B-roll of them talking about whatever it was, and it might even been controversial, was everybody going around and just picking out jelly beans <laughs> and popping them in their mouth. See, and I didn't even know that part of the story like to this moment. I yeah, didn't no, know no, that. that's that's that that's a, that's a big famous story. Well, I love but, but that. But that, that's something that's something that stuck with you. Yeah, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because Phil Hartman was on SNL making fun of it. Uh, maybe it was. I don't know. I don't know where I heard it. I remember seeing the those weird. Um, characteristic puppet things that are still, I guess they're back now. That's another, that, I forgot what it's called. It's British produced thing. Anyway, they did like, um, land of confusion, the video for, uh, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And those yeah. were, and that was all happening then. So you had like these ridiculously over, uh, ri- you know, overly exaggerated versions of like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and that kind of the, the, uh, the political names of the time. And there was always these jelly bean jokes about him. And so that's my very first memory of a guy who was basically the president of my childhood. Yeah. Um, I was born right before Nixon got, uh, Nixon retired, or retired. <laughs> yeah. Got, got, uh, drummed out, drummed out of office. Um, that, so that's zero memories for me there. Um, other than, you know, what I've seen historically since, but, I don't have any of that as a reference point. I feel a little bit like that Nixon stuff was probably intense for a certain generation. Whereas, uh, you know, in the way that 9-11 was intense for me and my son, who was one year old, really has no reference for it other than what we yeah. said to him. So so I've always t- found that kind of funny. But that's like number one, my memory or my first memory. But then I have these other two things. One is well here hold on before before we move on yeah. i do have some i do have some information on you on ronald reagan i couldn't find the the event that i'm thinking of where it, it became like a television icon but apparently ronald reagan did have a for real for real jelly bean addiction and it went back to his time as governor oh, wow. back in the 60s mm-hmm. uh because jelly belly is a northern California company. They're based up here in the Bay Area. And according to the the CEO, uh, the California governor quit smoking years before and turned to popping candy as a substitute. It got to the point where we could hardly start a meeting or make a decision without passing around a jar of jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> that, that man for real, that man for real loved jelly beans. Yeah, that's also ringing a bell now that you say it. There, it just seemed like there was something like that. Knowing there were jelly bellies actually improves my imp- opinion of his taste for candy because they're the only good jelly bean. Everything else is trash. Um, and I'll, but don't eat their <laughs> sugar-free ones. And that's a whole different story for a different day. Anyway, uh, so there was that. And then the other two that really stick out for me was... I was on a, a mission for the for the LDS church back in the early or late 80s, early 90s. And I was in Jackson, Mississippi. And I remember getting a call in, I don't remember the day that the first Gulf War started, what day, whatever that was. Yeah. I get this phone call from what we call a mission president. He's basically the guy sort of in charge of all the all the missionaries in the in the area. And uh, for in our case, almost the entire state. And he called us, says, get in here. We're like, get in. What? What's going on? He says, just come over to the house. They had, they had a house there. And um, so we packed, or packed. We got in the car, went over there. Didn't have to pack anything. <laughs> went over there. They were, we lived in the same town. And um, 
went in there and he had CNN on, which is you remember at the time. I mean, this was like big time CNN moment. This was new. Yeah. yeah. No, this was this was uh, what Bernard Shaw and and all the green night vision stuff. Yeah, Wolf Blitzer in his youth, sort of. Um, so all that pup, was happening. Pup Blitzer, <laughs> just a, just a virile three foot <laughs> Wolf Blitzer. Just, dispensing the news yeah and he was out there like on the scene and a bunch of stuff i think he spent some time in part of the conflict anyway it was much much different than he is now but anyway and i haven't seen cnn for like 10 years so i have no idea if he's even i assume he's still there because i see clips but oh yeah oh no no he's 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 uh like the grand poobah over there yeah so anyway he pulls us in there and he's and he and we're all like what's going on he goes um and he explained what happened this is this is kicking off right now in the middle east this is all that's happening and we were all like 20 at 19 or 20 and he said i'm having you here because this sort of stuff could have directly affect you you are all draft age and a thing like this if it got out of control could mean in a month you're over there and i want you to be able to see what we're talking about. he goes i want you to experience whatever access we have to it so that you're not left in the dark like some generations sort of are with these kinds of conflicts and so we sat there and watched 24-hour news network for about eight hours while his awesome wife made amazing food and we just sort of ate and watched this news coverage and that was a just a significant like serious political moment because politics yeah. was suddenly a more than just a i think health care it wasn't that it was we're sending people over to die and kill and it's this thing and and for me this is my first real war conflict you know yeah but i'm well, aware i would imagine i would imagine for him you know, uh, uh, I would guess he what had 20, 30 years on you. Yeah, he was like probably eh, probably 58 or 59 at the time. He's older. But that was a dude who was a young man. The last time there was just a foreign war that kind of like appeared at the bottom of the newspapers and then it kind of got a little higher in the newspapers right. and then it got a couple mentions and then it was kind of a political thing. And then all of a sudden all your friends are in the jungle <laughs> like it, it was it was something that that, you know, Vietnam boiled and boiled and boiled until it boiled over and right. it never really stopped so i can imagine from his perspective he's like hey by the way this can happen yep he, like you can you can be out in the desert lickety split yeah he was like see all this stuff going on it was at night you know and there's all these like those tracer rounds in the sky and all that stuff you could see back then and course this is the first fully televised war i think that's kind of what it was famous for live live televised yeah live yeah, televised I mean, war yeah. and um I remember that being just a really profound sort of reset my, you know, my, um, uh, my, my brain into this mode of like, yeah, any of this could just pop off. This is, I don't just live in happy eighties land where I can just watch Voltron and then go eat sugar cereal. And, and then later maybe this Cosby show will be on, um, speaking of other expectations that were changed years later. But anyway, yeah. the point is like, <laughs> like it was a really intense moment. And then the third thing that really, I think probably was the last time where I felt like a naive idiot was, was the Clinton mess, the Clinton affair. By that time I was married, I had one kid. This is 98. Was it? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm working and, you know, we're a young couple and excited. I'm, I think I'm 26 or 27, whatever I am. And, um, and that just seemed crazy to me that, that he was just like that, that much of a liar and all that stuff. So those are my big three. That's like the were triumvirate. You, were, you, were you dialed in on politics before that? Or did that kind of uh, uh, focus you in a little bit more on the personality elements of politics? I think that absolutely happened because up until then, 
they all, at least in the, you know, the, the recent past, even before I was born, but they all had some level of like dignity slash, you know, smarts. Like we're putting somebody in this, this incredibly important job who is at least qualified in some way for it. And they know what they're doing and there's a certain dignity and class to the thing and all that. And, and naively or not, that's kind of a thing I just expected. Even looking back on Nixon, he had statesman qualities, many of them. Um, yeah. And that was undeniable. And, and, and pretty much everybody before him and after him. And I don't, you know, I'm not getting into like the 1800s. I don't, most of those guys were, I have no idea historically how they behave, but, but for me, it was about, it was a, <laughs> for me, it was a behavior thing. It was like a, at the very least, you're going to be a straight shooter. I know that's naive, and I know there's plenty of backdoor weird. Well, no, no, no. Let's 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 kind of interrogate that a little bit because uh, you mentioned, you know, part of part of this story in in the background at the very least is you going on a mission for the LDS, mm-hmm. and you know, you you said in in your uh, upbringing that the idea of decency was something that is very important. And I think that very often that phrase is misunderstood, yeah. that that decency is often thought to be bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Like that, like, well, at least you're decent. But like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think realistically, I, I think it is a tremendously, uh, a very high compliment in that, like, if we were all randomly assigned with one person on the planet, to complete a task, yeah. right? Like let, let, let's let's think of like a, a a play school version of like a saw riddle or something like okay. that. Just like a, a complex thing for which required trust and compatibility on some level. The number one thing you would hope for yeah. is not intelligence, is not wealth, is not anything but decency. Yeah. You'd want to be able to trust this person. You'd want to be able to to walk forward. And I think if we're boiling down the basics of cooperation, then decency is at the cornerstone of it. So to your upbringing, how much did your family and or your faith and how you were brought up affect what you expected from that? Well, see, this is the twisty bit about, bit about that. I've said this before, so others have heard me say this, but I'll explain it here. I don't... Um, there was never, it's weird. I grew up in a family where there was these, there was church in an organized sense where there was a place we went on Sunday and on the week or on the weekdays, there's like activities for kids and youth and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, occasionally, uh, special meetings or whatever, but, it, but it was like the structural thing that got you out of bed on a Sunday, got you in a, a tie and a nice pair of slacks and got you somewhere where you had to do a thing that was kind of boring, but you were there and you'd listen yeah. to everybody talk about Jesus for an hour and a half, and then you go home and, you know, whatever. Like, those traditions and those things were all part of it. But as I've gotten older, I realized that we were adhering to something a little bit different in our house. Um, we call it the Gospel of Blaine, but basically it was my dad's take on what he thought life should be. And in his mind, what he thought life should be. And he lived this and showed this every day. He didn't talk a lot about it, which is why I talk about it, because I get to. But he was, uh, he was all about, are you leaving things better than you found them? Are you treating people with respect no matter where they come from or what their what their thing is, what their you know state in life is? Do you do you treat everybody with kindness because you don't really know what's going on in their lives and maybe you're the best thing they've heard all day? Like that stuff mattered to him more than any sort of rote prayers or 
scriptural sure, sure, this or that sure. or any of that. And it that stuff really rubbed off to the point that that's all I care about at this stage either. Like I don't care, do not care about like people always say, Scott, you never talk about religion on anything. I'm like, well, I I don't know why I'm even doing it here. But the truth is I don't do that because yeah. I don't have a I don't have anything to sell you or anybody else. What I have is just a philosophy on 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 life, which is you get this limited time, so you gotta do your best to be the best you can, and you're gonna fail and you're gonna screw up and you're gonna look bad and you're gonna have to course correct and you're gonna have, you know, you're you're gonna yell at your kids one time where you shouldn't have, and you're gonna wanna back that up and see if you can fix it and you know, you just you just want to do the best you can with the most decency possible. And the one example I always think of was when my dad, uh, he owned a body shop and he, he had an employee there who was this guy who was a former drug, drug addict and kind of a mess and had a record and all of this. But my dad really wanted to help him, did this interview, said, OK, well, we need a painter, so we'll have you on for that. This guy ended up stealing a car from the lot that happened to be earmarked for me. I was going to buy it. Anyway, it's a long story. That, oh wow! Yeah, I don't have to tell that part of the story, but basically, it was no, no, no. This is this is great. <laughs> now it's now it's become a like uh, a seventh heaven plot. <laughs> well, yeah, and see, here's the thing: it was this black Volkswagen uh, Golf, and it was older and not that much money. I think I was going to pay a grand or something, but I was super stoked about it. And he comes home one day and says, "Yeah, the car, your car got stolen," and I think it's this employee who did it. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And I'm starting to get, ah, that was going to be my car. And I'm getting all like super yeah. mad about it. And I'm late, late teens. And he says, we're not, we're not going to do anything. We're going to see if we can't help this guy. Cause obviously uh, things are a mess. I'm paying him well enough for this job, but obviously something's worse. So I'm just going to see what I can do. I'll let you know, we're going to figure out a way to get the car back, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of the end of it. And then I find out he gets just this feeling one day I should check on this guy. And he knew where he lived. Uh, from the you know paperwork HR paperwork he had and all that, so he just like shuts the shop down one day, drives all the way out to North North Salt Lake, which is I don't know thirty minutes or twenty five minutes or something. Drives out there, uh, pulls in front of the house, looks around, doesn't see a lot of action, doesn't even see that car, um, but goes up and looks through the bay window and sees this guy sprawled on the floor, and there's stuff knocked over and you know other stuff going on, and he's like, oh crap! So he broke in there. Oh, wow. Found the dude. Uh, he had OD'd on something. I don't remember what it was. It may have been heroin. Something bad. Yeah. And um, immediately called the cops, called the paramedics, got them out there, freaking saved this guy's life, and then left. Um, never got the car back. Never got... He had to do a statement while he was there and stuff, but there was never any follow-through on that because it was all pretty obvious what had gone on. And never needed anything for that. It was just... You know, this guy who had stolen from him, he just wanted to go over there and see what was going on, see if he could help him. That kind of stuff was, that's how I was raised. I wasn't raised with dogma or like, hey, this is how we're aligned or you need to vote like we do or any of that stuff. None of that existed. And I thought that was how everybody was. And and that's why I get so annoyed with um, other people who claim to be, quote unquote, faithful members of this or any church who do all that talk, but they don't do any of the walk. And then growing up, I get to watch this guy do nothing but the walk and not expect anything return, including any kind of recognition for it. That was a big effing deal for me. And as a result, when I would see that kind of malfeasance in people who claim to be one thing, but couldn't on a very public stage, 
it was right around Clinton where that started to go real south for me. And I, I still, <laughs> I remain a little naive even to this day about certain aspects of people's personalities. But, you know, that that's the moment where I went, okay, we have to do better than that. That's, that's lame. Like that's horrendous what he, what he did and how he lied and how he tried to cover yeah. it up and throw her under the bus. Like everything about that situation just stunk to me. And so anytime we get near that again, I get really riled up. And also whenever we start, start acting like that's happening again and it's not, I get riled up. Like people who want to do, you know, uh, personal assessments of Barack Obama's eight years really fries my cheese when they want to get all negative about it and make a bunch of stuff up like he was somehow this horrible, immoral man when he is he's a better representative of those core values they all claim to have about family and devotion to one's wife and spouse and blah 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 all that stuff than any of them have proved to be so i tend to be you know and again someone who didn't even vote for him that first election like yeah i'm not, or the second now that i think about it because i did Mitt romney the next time so like so yeah no it's yeah, so so personal politics personal politics the per, or the politics of personality rather matter a lot and and to get back to what you were mentioning before, because I do want to differentiate this. For me, you know, when I, we went to uh, Rome two years ago yeah. or a year and a half ago. And so we go and we're like touring all these early uh, Christian tombs. And we're getting all this history about like early Christianity. And and the the concept of like, okay, well now, and then we eventually go to the Vatican and we see all this uh, uh, insanity that that uh, has has kind of and I, I mean just grandiosity rather instead of insanity that has kind of uh, launched up from community what community meant mm-hmm. and I think that that's where your uh, uh, your frustration seems to come from is like no the, the point of whatever you got from your upbringing mm-hmm. right and let's not even put loaded terms on on religion or family or whatever right mm-hmm. like uh what mattered was that our community advances mm-hmm. that we leave like you said before that like you leave the world better than you found yeah it. and that is the you know that's the reason why we all have uh nikes and steam and snapchat and and uber eats is because we continually advance our community worldwide or globally and and even the poorest on on the planet are less poor than they were before and it it what's fascinating though is you're definitely from an era with you know Reagan and these statesmen and presidents that were leaders of the country not on a political level but on like an almost moral level mm-hmm. Yeah, in and some, in some wonder, ways, yeah, yeah. And I and and I wonder, in an era where simultaneously we have so many more people to pay attention to, so many more places for which you can get moral leadership or or uh, uh, find that communal path, where the role of the president is now, and and even down to the fact that we've elected people that, uh, you know, a, a division has become a more reliable tactic. Right. Like, the people that are succeeding are the people that are dividing, right? Right, and, right. And that really and, bugs me. 
Like you just gotten to the bottom of what really has my my potato in the fryer <laughs> over the last tw- yeah. uh, four years because there that divisiveness and its effectiveness, the efficacious level of of divisiveness, really really bums me out because I don't I'm still not even fully grappling with what it says about us or what we're capable of doing or not doing, but I really don't like that feeling of we're letting our worst tendencies. Um, takes center stage to a point that it's actually dominating to to the degree that you know like in my mind donald trump is the epitome of that but he's also just a symptom of a larger issue but you know that kind of like lack of uh, what's the word like and this is, a, this is important to note I, none of those presidents that i mentioned earlier or any of those leaders i mentioned previously it was never about oh are they christian oh good then i'm back in them that's not it no, to me, no, it was no, like no. if they are, if they, I mean, I don't want religion in politics at all. Like, take it out completely. Like, well, yeah, separate your church I mean, and uh, your but, state. Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, besides the fact that you come from a sect of the religion that wasn't exactly loved, you know, from the mainstream people that were getting elected as Christians, right. it's not like it's not like the LDS was like, "Yep, you're along for the ride," until they just kind of got grandfathered in with Romney. Yeah, you're right. There's a bit of there's a bit of that. Um, that's this is actually a palpable thing. But man, I get irritated now with like we did it. We did a thing the other day that I helped participate in. We were going to take because churches have been closed for what March since March yeah. and very limited access to any of that stuff. So one of the things we did this year for Christmas is they, they talked to a bunch of us says, Hey, do you want to volunteer and come help, come help us take uh sweet rolls to every house in the neighborhood? Just as, just as a Christmas gesture gift, we can't have the party we'd like to have every year. So let's do something else. And I'm like, sweet, no problem. Kim and I are on the case. Let's do it. And they said, all right, we're going to assign you 18 of these, these fresh baked, whatever's you're going to take them around everybody. And, and we'll assign you the streets and the, the houses and everything. So we did that. We go over there to get it. And when we arrive, we got a, a house where they're holding all the stuff. Everybody's in masks, including the local missionaries. They're there helping. Everybody's in masks, except for this dude who lives there. He's the owner of the house. He won't wear masks. And he won't wear them not because he's at home and he's just forgetting. He won't wear them because he's a huge anti-masker, a huge Trumpy head, and believes all that stuff and has QAnon posts on Facebook and all this other BS. And I, that, that's hard. That was so hard for me not to go, dude, you're bad at this. <laughs> like, like here, here, here we are doing a thing that's like legit charitable and a way for us to connect with people. It's like a meaningful moment here with these stupid sweet rolls, which are very good and are made of this amazing bakery. And, you know, they're, <laughs> like it's a really nice gesture. We're going to do this thing. And you're here, you know, making all the right faces, but Underneath that all, I know what you're doing. This is a guy that tried to convince me that Rush Limbaugh was the greatest American living today. And this this sort of thing. Now, there may be people that agree with him. That's fine. I just know he knows better, is what I mean. I know well, he knows better. And and that kind of takes us to a point of like what this pandemic has done to our sense of community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the one thing that I I will say, if there's one thing that has made me scratch my head about where you've gone and now let's bring it back to these last four years is that i know you to be among the most decent human beings on the planet i know you to be i've never heard that story about your 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 dad and the guy who stole the car uh, but it surprises me not at all because you seem to me to be the guy that would do a similar thing 
But what's happened over the last four years is that, and then uh, heightened into just this insane uh, uh, German operatic crescendo that has, has been 2020, is our suspension of our own humanity at the site of inhumanity. It's a really good that, question. Yeah. That that we're that we're like, "Oh, well, if none of you guys are going to listen, then I'll be less of the person that I've built up for myself." And like that's, you know, uh, uh the the thing that is has has been a, a curiosity and sometimes it's boiled over to our conversations on on the morning stream is you have your your political Twitter which is like as mean and snarky as any political Twitter that I read like on the internet. And like, I follow some people that are just like literal bomb throwers. Like they are there just to like annoy the living hell out of other people. And I enjoy reading that. Like there's a sixth, like sadistic element of it that I love, but I had to mute yours because I'm like, no, but not Scott. (laughs) All right, so this is an interesting place to go because I because I would love to address this. The, yeah. the political account that I I use way less now, but did really hardcore for a bit. The whole entire point of that was, hey, let's get it out of my main timeline. Let's just get it somewhere else. I don't want to be. I only want to be in a place where people signed up for this. You know what I mean? So yeah. you either go over there and check it out, yes. or you or forget it. I never really actively pushed it or anything. I just did whatever it did, and it was purely like a cathartic place for me to just blurt out my worst instincts about all this like just really let it fly and if you know ted cruz does something dumb check it out Boom. political scott got, got it yeah so you know kind of in a i'm always in this mode or at least have been in the last few years of like i need an outlet for this that isn't just complaining to my family or just you know whatever so that's where i would put that stuff in retrospect even till today i sometimes wonder why I need it um, or why I thought I needed it or whether I need it at all. And I've had to get a little more philosophical with myself about, well, wait a minute. If I'm, if I'm truly like caring about people involved, why am I, if my dad could do that with a drug addicted car theft, car thief, car thief yeah. why can't I see massless Joe up the road who loves you know everything to do with the worst aspects of far right media yeah. today. Well, especially when like that dude is doing the important stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's volunteering his house. He's importing the sweet rolls. I don't know what else he's doing. Maybe <laughs> uh, maybe that's it. Maybe the rest of it is just him putting his hand down his pants like Al Bundy. But like he's he's doing a, a thing that obviously you also believe is important and it is it is transparent charity and i i i can't help but think if part of it is that now everything's recorded Mm. now there is facebook now there is twitter and now there are receipts and whether or not everybody that you ever dealt with or your dad ever dealt with when you were uh, a kid could have had similar if not objectively worse opinions and probably did. Oh, no. But you never really had to hear about it. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, that's one of the conclusions I've come to this year in particular is that I think that that's true. And I think I was naive to think otherwise. Um, and I think it's naive, to, especially to think it today. Uh, 
it's also easy to get into the the you just said it. I mean, it's since it's all recorded, it's all written down now, it's all videotaped, it's all whatever. We're so out there and just, you know, everything's just covered in one snapshot every second you blink your eyes that it's it's so easy to get roped into this feeling that it's so much worse. It's never been like this. And the truth yeah. of the matter is, I can't prove this, but if I went back to I don't know 1975 when I was a four-year-old kid would I look at that year and go and if I could truly see what everybody was about would I see some of the most horrible thoughts ideas concepts all that absolutely I would like I know I would there's there was more like it's just that you didn't have people getting up and and saying it out loud and I guess part of what makes me mad because because that's kind of that's kind of or even if they if they did say it out loud right like if let's say so obviously, Raise the Dead I spent a lot of time in the 1960 election. People have talked about the 1960 election a lot over the last few weeks because Trump has come out and said, I'm the first president to ever lose uh, 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 or sorry, win Ohio and Florida and allegedly lose the election. And I don't know whether or not that's him being crazy like a fox. So people then say, well, it also happened in 1960 because that also was a famously controversial election with a gigantic conspiracy theory to it. Mm-hmm. But it's like. Let's say somebody really believed that Kennedy ripped off Nixon in 1960 and they wanted to do the loudest thing they possibly could. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Like honking their horn in town square, <laughs> yelling like, Nixon got robbed. <laughs> like, like, stop the steal. Yeah. Like, yeah. what? Like, that's it. That's it. Other than that, you're right. Like, and there's calling can, a radio show, writing into a newspaper. That's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah. Like, there, there's, there is no denying that, that social media has taken, it has a role that is massive. And, we, you know, we don't have to get into the details or the gritty about, hey, they're, and they're not taking responsibility for that either. They've got a, with great power comes great. We could go. That's a whole conversation for a different day and probably not for this show at all. But um, but yeah, like now somebody can say a thing quickly in 10 characters, have it go viral and suddenly become the new hashtag that an entire movement uses for the next 10 years like that. That's where we're at. And everybody can be heard. And because of that. It is easy, I think, as humans who are not used to this, biologically, sort of, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we don't, you know, this is new compared to the length of the species, the species and our growth. We don't have like a built in biological way to deal with it. Instead, we just like, look how bad it is because you can see it. That's how we know. That's how we know it's worse because I can see it now. You didn't see this when I was, you know, in my teens or whatever. Of course you didn't. Because we didn't have the lens that we have today. And so be- yeah. because of all of that, uh, that sort of acknowledgement this year, that's actually gotten me to a slightly better place. Because you do have to get your head around it. And there is kind of a denial and then a acceptance. And it's slow. And there's maybe anger in there. It's like it's like the whole denial thing. Uh, yeah. or, or what is it? The steps of whatever it is. Uh, it's a, a grief, right? <laughs> that's the it. That's grief. it. The stages yeah. of grief. There's a little yeah. bit of that with me coming to some of these conclusions. What makes me the maddest now isn't so much that that uh, that Trump somehow became president and that I think he's the worst example of of what America is and all of that. It's that he and his ilk and his supporters know everything I just said. They know the power of these new tools, this new world, this new lens, and they know how to weaponize it. And that weaponizing, that act of weaponizing it, to me, is the most unethical part of all of it because they know they're doing it. 
And I look, email Justin if you want to. I know everybody uses everything to do whatever. It's not like PR was invented yesterday or it's not like, you know, people haven't figured out a way to twist and turn and spin. The word spin's been around for a long time. I get it. But I don't know if anyone has ever truly said, hey, has anyone tried putting the, uh, the pedal to the floor in this car? Because <laughs> that's where we're at right now. We got this new car with all these new fancy features and we just sort of figured it out. But somebody said, what if we floored it? Let's see what would happen. And it turns out not a lot. Like it just got ugly and mean and terrible. And that four years was hard for me. It felt, it felt injurious to me to, to experience those that time, partly because of my own sort of naive sort of, well, people will do the best for everyone when they're in a place like this. Like I remember when he even got elected, I went, well, historically, even some of the most controversial candidates, they tend to swing toward the middle and accomplish more because of it. And the, 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 there's a rightness about them. And I just didn't see any of that, this administration, like not even once did I see that. And as a result, I mean, it was, yeah, I, it was heavy. I, I think they're probably, he had more of an inclination to swing to the middle than the body politic did. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was not like, as soon as it became very profitable to be in opposition to Trump, then there was going to be no cooperation. Right. D- despite the fact that like, you know, there's a reason why he was bringing in Chuck and Nancy like to to come speak. Now it broke into these, you know, dramatic uh three-person plays where they would all yell at the cameras and act like they didn't want to, you know, throw rocks at each other. Mm-hmm. But like uh uh <laughs> there there was I think there was a moment, a missed moment of like, well, Maybe there was something. I mean, because because there's there is one thing that was for sure. Donald Trump was the most unmoored politically president that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's not like he had a lot of people that put him in, in 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 office to answer to. And even some of the ones that he did, like the immigration hawks, they got pissed because he wasn't going fast enough. Right. And he didn't seem to care. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, what I would say to get back to the abstract mm. Beyond the the play by play of the actual presidency, there is the idea that we are all in control of our own actions, mm-hmm. and and I'm only realizing this now. This is going to get really deep for for a for a PX3 interview. <laughs> all right, but like my background is one of a broken home, mm-hmm. and that is something for which you know through various. Uh, friends and and girlfriends and my wife that have let me know it has led to me wanting to fix things Mm -hmm. this is a common thing apparently with children of divorce Mm. and i can see that like that's where it whenever i would get on your case it wasn't necessarily because you were saying anything particularly mean for twitter again I, I gleefully follow people that are like actively trying to hurt people's feelings and I and I cheer it on. It was that I there was like I could see that you were whinging in pain because of this and I wanted to fix it. Mm. And I and and I felt like like ah like there's got to be something there's got to be some insight there's got to be some thing that I can help because like this is this is wrong. Scott Scott should be in this moment of in this moment of chaos, a beacon of like, come on now, like let's calm down mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, uh, and and I think ultimately, 
what we've all found out here throughout this last four years, and and again, I do think that a lot of this goes far deeper than Trump. Trump was just sort of a starter's pistol. Yeah. Uh, that could have been a car backfiring, right? We don't. It's not like any intentionality to it, per se. I just think societally, we all had to find out exactly how much we were about our values. Mm-hmm. We had to get a stress test. We had to find out how much disagreements really changed what our our opinions were and our uh, our our behavior toward others, and also what we want to do about it. Like and and that was the thing for me is that ultimately, uh, 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 you know, obviously I've channeled a lot of my energy into into this show and hopefully it's found some kind of an audience. But personally, I found out that I can just kind of sit here on the sidelines and just like <laughs> scratch my head. Like, I don't think that there was a, a tremendous amount of uh, of 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 positivity that I could that I could take out of it, except to know that, like, hey, look, the world's complicated. And people react to things in a million different ways. And nobody is a, a no one's going to change things for the better unless you try to change things for the better. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, part of me, I mean, I, there's a lot to lament about the last four years. And funny enough, the top one isn't Trump for me. The top one is my tendency to react poorly to all of this because of what I perceive as a lack of control. I'm not a control freak. I don't need to run everything. But when things feel chaotic and I and it doesn't matter what I do to change it, that's a really awful feeling. And a lot comes into that. Like, you know, again, social media is this way to view it but not be able to affect it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, my doing my shows, uh, they, they, they just couldn't evolve into just how, how pissed is Scott today about a thing, which is why your segment has been good even on the on the weird days because it's a chance for me to to let some of that out, but then, you know, discuss it in reasonable terms and that sort of thing. And so so because of all of that, you know, I let myself get a little too fat. I ate poorly for the last three years. Um, I have not had, you know, I haven't felt that great about just there's, where I am yeah. physically there, or there, whatever. There's, there's a lot of element of this last four years that reminds me of that scene in Forrest Gump when jenny's like dirtbag boyfriend hits her and then is like it's just that fascist johnson <laughs> like there's a lot of kind of like personal personal uh, uh uh allowances that we've given ourselves and written it off with the idea of like politics mm-hmm. and then we got into a year where we really should be writing these things off right yeah. like with 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 with, with the pandemic yeah it, it for sure and the pandemic just like you know we've kept it saying here is just this horrendous accelerant uh, of like throwing a you know it's like throwing too much lighter fluid on your steak it's gonna taste like if you do it too fast and this is just all too crazy and and then i ended up you know kind of amplifying all my big problems which were it, you know, I didn't feel like this entire year Trump ever gave uh, two cares about anything to do with people who were dying or or any of that. And then when it started to look like the only way you could um, have a stance on that issue was, well, if you're if you're a team player, then you just go with your team. And uh, right now the Republicans are saying, well, it's not as bad as you think. And we're not going to wear masks and they can't force us to do this. And it's a uh, the state overstepping and all this stuff. It just it just more and more made me go, well, I don't have that. That's not, I, I, that's not a party I can do anything with anymore. Like I don't recognize it yeah. anymore. And, and this is probably just a realization that everybody comes to, but when it's completely flip-flopped where 
the people that look like they're making the most sense and saying things that are in the right direction. And again, you can talk about your mistrust for that as all people want to. But yeah, when yeah, that's yeah, coming yeah. from the side that you used to think didn't give you that, and the honesty is just void in the place that you used to find it, it's that's a that's a real crisis of conscience time. Like it's a time for you to go, well, then what are y'all? What are we doing? Like what is this even? This whole thing we're doing. And you know, it's been a good time for me to to be reminded. Hey, politics have always been this way. It's never been any different. Like it's always been this way. Hell, they one of the most <laughs> popular presidents in the history of this company was shot by a dude, and there are still people that yeah. think that that was all you know some secret deep state business. So it's not like today's weird freaking QAnon bullshit and all that. And and and, and yeah, and, and by the way, wasn't exactly a paragon of uh, of, of decent values. Right. That family. right, they weren't at all. But and see, this is another thing to always keep in mind. Like p- people don't know any better because again, the microscope isn't there. But my problem with Trump was you didn't have to fake it. It was just always it's just always letting his wiener out. And I don't mean I mean I think. Yeah. I don't mean sex in general, well, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, you know, partly. <laughs> There's, you could make an argument. My point is, like, it, it was always let that flag fly, and I just sat here going, "Are we? We're all seeing this, right? You guys can see this." And clearly, we've we've answered it with the same electoral college difference that he experienced in 2016 and called a landslide. Here he calls it a you know too close to call and or a hoax, but we're in the same boat as we were four years ago, just on the other shoe. And clearly that that's the country answering and saying, yeah, maybe not four more years of that dude on the whole, on the aggro, you know? Yeah. And that's, and, and by, and by the way, it took a pandemic to do that. <laughs> yeah. I kind of think so. Like I, I, I think if there was not a pandemic, it was a slam dunk. Yeah. Right? It feels like, you know, there's two, there all those factors of just you know, like incumbents and everything. Like you're not going to, yeah. you don't, there's no, but, but that, but that, but that gets us into this thing where the pandemic, the pandemic, actually required advanced calculus right right there are no easy answers and i hate the fact that we have boiled it down that we were in such black and white monochromatic evil versus good uh uh, of a lens through this insane presidential election because politics have been so divisive that then when you actually get to for real for real complicated stuff like the line between governance and free will and and what does it mean for shutting down a church versus a weed store Mm -hmm. and and you know all these kinds of things that are like this is when you really need to dust off the old texts and like you know really have a heart-to-heart with your community you need government to really uh, uh be reaching out to the populace and not feel remote and not feel suspicious and not feel removed and boy did we fail Mm -hmm. that like we were all so ginned up on this that it's like now we're at a point where the real complicated stuff because this stuff does take talent. You need talented politicians to shepherd your way through something like this that only happens once every hundred years. This is what makes heroes. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody that came out of this on the government side <laughs> that like like even for all of his brain leaking that he's doing these days, like Rudy Giuliani was that guy for 9-11. Right. You can say that he was actually a scumbag before and he was an awful person and he's been a scumbag afterward. In 9-11, he showed the leadership that was needed for the city and the right. country. Like, n- who's that now? Nobody. And guess what? That's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody deserves 
a gold star for how they've handled no, it. No, nobody. I mean, they're, but that's the other thing is it's just because everybody is in a position where they can't do anything. And to top it off, we're now arguing about whether you should be able to go to Costco with a mask on or not. Although a lot of that stuff's calmed down, but. Um, I, I mean, yeah, but again, it's like, it's like, look, that's all this kind of comes from the top down, right? There's always going to be the apples are too expensive. And that's an argument between you and the group. Right. <laughs> uh, like that's, that's fine. There's an element of that that's going to be heightened because this is there. What to me is unforgivable is the fact that from the top on down, this became politicized immediately. Mm-hmm. And then we, we continued to hide behind our political shields to the point where by the time that the election happened and we were going through our second wave, now all these governors are like, so we'll do the same thing we did before. <laughs> and it's like, wait, you didn't have a plan like this entire time. There wasn't like, all right, when the second wave comes, we're going to begin with these things. Like the governor of California is announcing that like you're now in five regions. And it's like, so what? Now we're the hunger yeah. games? Like all of a sudden, like we're grouping this on, on hospital networks. Like how did you not, how was it? Fourth of July, we should have had the second wave plan and people can get mad about it. People can point out the problems with it. You resolve it until you get to the point that the second wave comes. Like just garbage. Yeah. You, just should, garbage. Uh, you should, you should, you uh, should be tribute for Oakland. You should be tribute. I yeah. will. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer in tribute instead of Dr. Nice. Uh, uh, all right, Scott, I, I actually do have another interview with three minutes, but otherwise I would do this another hour and a half. Uh, uh, for loyal listeners of TMS, please take heart that Scott made my show go a half hour long. Uh, uh, so now that the, the, the shoe's finally on the other foot. Uh, but please uh, uh, go ahead and, and listen to all of the Frog Pants programs, the morning stream, Film Sack, The Instance, if you're into... Uh, Blizzard games of all stripes. Is there anything else that you're that you're working um, on? So one of the I will say this: one of the things that really helped me get through 2020 is doing a regular comic strip every week. And um, the name of the comic is Fred and Can. It's about it's a little weird, and I've done comics for a long time, but this one's about a guy who lives in an apartment. His name is Fred, and he lives there with an expired can of cream corn, who appears to be sentient, at least to Fred. That's all I'll say about that. So find out about their adventures and their life together at fredandcan.com, uh, maybe it will bring you some chill like it brought me some chill this year. It is great. Please go check that out. Scott, a pleasure. Thanks, man. I really enjoyed being here, and I'm so glad to get revenge and go over on your show. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to wrap it up for us today. I would like to thank everybody who... Was a part of this show. So basically just me and Scott. (laughs) But also you, the dear listener. In fact, anybody who is listening to my voice right now, please know how much it means to me. If you'd like to support the show, please tell a friend. You know, this is the time. This is the time when everybody's getting together or at least communicating with each other. Family, friends, discussing the world. And if indeed you find somebody that wants to kind of climb out of the cave a little bit, the bunker, as it were, that they have put themselves in during the shelling, the mortar rain of this 2020 political season. And they ask you, man, I don't even know what to pay attention to now. Go ahead and suggest this show. 
that would be my my uh and I mean this episode. I feel like that Scott interview was good. I think there was a lot of catharsis there. You know, whenever we both start talking about our dads, you know it's you know it's some serious stuff. All right, I would like to thank the Titanic $10 tier for being a part of this show. Uh, I love you, TNT, Dr. G, The Jen, Katie, Ma sorry, Kathy Mack, Headphones Neil, Onward to Georgia, Captain Bunzo, Jay Sulu, Dallas Danger Taylor, Middle Age Mike, but what happened to Tex? Get a bucket and a mop. Cujo, Idris, Jacob Wilson, Berkeley, Steven, Justin, e e uh, Justin Egan, Dotcom Junkie, Diana Sunny Smiles, for which I had a a friend of mine text me and ask whether or not Diana Sunny Smiles and then me saying hi Diana uh, was one or two different patrons. It's only one patron that uh, has Diana Sunny Smiles. But I always say hi Diana because Diana's a baby. Or at least I've been informed that Diana's a baby. So I just, you know, if somebody puts a baby in front of me, I'm going to say hi to the baby. Tempest Fugit, Jason from Magnolia Delta Credit Card Processing, who is not a baby, at least to my knowledge. Uh, Mag Jason from Magnolia Delta Credit Card Processing, indeed the opposite of a baby. Uh, we also have Alec, Government Unfiltered, Andres, Archie, Darren, Adam, Olin and Angela, DL, Kyle, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike. We already said, but he's been a patron for so long he gets two shout-outs. Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to join their ranks, well, it's very simple. You head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Dot com and you sign right on up. Now's the time to do it because uh, coming up in these next few weeks, you're going to start getting these bonus episodes that are live from Atlanta, Georgia and all environs around the Peach State. We are getting into that season where I'm going to head on down there and only half of that week's of broadcasting, that week of broadcasting is going to be on the main feed. The other half is going to be on the uh, $3 feed. So if you want it, you know where to get it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Get yours in for our mailbag on Friday. And, of course, you can watch me live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Young four days a week. Till next time. This is your old pal, Jerb, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only show that dares talk about ho Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.